Hey, welcome to the Deliverance from Demons podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Andros, and tonight I'm going to be answering uh, some questions from a listener, and um, this is going to be more of a theological episode than anything. Um, this person reached out um, and wanted to hear a bit about why a Christian can be demonized, and um, so I'm going to hop into that. The majority of demons that a Christian has, in my opinion, are there from prior to salvation. Um, however, Christians can pick up new demons if they continue living in sin uh, or backslide or um, move into a new area of sin in their life. They, they certainly can. Or if they uh, begin believing demon doctrines or things of that nature, Christians can pick up new demons and demons can indwell a Christian. Um, and we'll cover a little bit more about that later. I've got a whole document, actually, that I've, I've written up that I want to read through. Um, there's several pathways of sin um, in, a, in a person's life that can bring demons in. And the first is going to be your personal sin. So that's sins that you commit either through your words, your actions, your thought, um, you know, Jesus said that if you um, look at a woman with lust in your heart for her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So, I mean, in the in the New Covenant, we can absolutely sin in our thoughts and in our heart. Um, we can also receive evil spirits across the pathway of what I call relational sin. And this is like sin that's between two people. For instance, like the most common type of relational sin would be, you know, sex outside of marriage. That's a that's a, an avenue that many people receive um, demonization in. Another area could be crime. If you're, you know, you got a partner in crime or, um, you know, like drug dealer um, and buyer relationships would have some demonization likely um there could be hatred between two people um there could be many many relationships that people have that are sinful um another another one would be the sin another pathway that allows evil spirits into our life is the sin that could be done to somebody that's under their authority for instance if uh, a husband treats his wife poorly, evilly, if he does evil to his wife, or if a parent abuses their child, or um, a, a pastor um, treats their flock in an evil way, things like this can bring evil spirits into people's lives. Um, Another way that evil spirits often come into people's lives is through generational iniquity. And this is, this is an area that has a lot of, uh, a lot of controversy. People don't like to, don't like to accept this, that, um, generational curses are a real thing. In the Old Testament, we do see it clearly spelt out that God visits the iniquity of the fathers unto their children. Generational blessings are also a thing. The Lord says uh, in the same passages where he says that he visits 
the iniquity. It says that he blesses those who fear him and, and obey him um, and their future generations also. So um, generational blessings and curses are both a real thing. And they do happen in the new covenant also. Um, this is this is something that still occurs to this day. Um, so how exactly can a Christian be demonized? There's a, there's a document that I wrote up, um, that I want to read through. And this is a section on the sinful nature of man. So I'm going to read through this document. It's going to be, um, a bit lengthy and there's going to be some scripture in here. All the scriptures coming from the King James Version Bible. So, um, all right. I'm just going to read it exactly like I wrote it. So if it sounds like a book, that's why. The next important thing to talk about when it comes to the spiritual state of the born-again Christian is the nature of our flesh. We've already looked at the nature of our human spirit. So this, this document, I'm just pausing for a moment, this document that I wrote, um, the first part that I'm not reading is about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be united to Christ. So we already looked at that, how we're, anyways, we've already looked at the nature of our human spirit, how we have been made one with God through the spirit of Christ and how we are in him and he is in us. The human condition also has an element to it that contains darkness, sin, and sometimes demonic spirits. This part of us is called the flesh. The Bible says that within the flesh dwells no good thing. Our flesh is fallen still, even after becoming born again and united with Christ. Romans 7.18, King James Version. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Later in this passage in Romans, Paul makes a statement about there being a war happening within his members. He says that sin is waging war against the law of his mind. What he is referring to when he says the law of his mind is the mind of Christ that has been given to him. Romans 7, 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Sin has many definitions. To miss the mark, to transgress God, to rebel against God. There's also a concept of imputed sin, which is that we were all born in a state of sin because of the sin of Adam. Sin can, all, can be used as a verb or noun. For instance, he sinned when he smoked the drugs. Or, she's been carrying that sin for a long time. Now, when we read this passage in Romans and other passages in the Bible, we see that sin is spoken of as being a living entity. Some people argue that sin is spoken of as being alive as a literary device, 
However, I'm going to argue that the type of sin described as being alive in Scripture is literally alive in the sense that it is the essence of satanic spirit, spirits operating in the lives of humans. In Romans 7, sin is literally warring against the mind of Paul, trying to cause him to do the things, tr trying to cause him to not do the things of God. We see in Genesis that sin is personified, and in the book of 1 John, this event is clearly spelt out as demonic. This sin is clearly alive. So, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse 8 and verse 12. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's verse 8. Now verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Jesus even personified sin as being a slave owner in the book of John. John chapter 8, verse 34, King James Version. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Whether this type of sin is a liter literal living entity that wars against our minds, or it is a figurative language, is up for debate. I personally believe it's literally alive in the sense that it's demonic. What's certain, however, is that we have a responsibility as people who have been filled with the Spirit of God to deny sin, deny the lusts of sin, and choose the things of the Holy Spirit. When we deny sin the right to live, in our bodies, we are denying Satan by virtue of denying sin. Romans 6, 12-14 Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. 1 John 8, 3, 8 He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. With this framework in mind, let's look Let's take a look at some examples of scripture that shows the demonic influence in the flesh of Christians. One of the most convicting, convincing evidences for Christians having demons indwelling their flesh is Paul's thorn in the flesh. We will look at this passage with reference numbers to the original Greek language. We see in this passage that Paul has something in his flesh where he said very clearly that no good thing dwells. I'm not going to read all the reference numbers. Second um, Corinthians twelve seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure 
through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. The numbers and letters you see are references to the Greek concordance. G32 is what we will look at. This word appears 186 times in the King James Bible. In the King James Bible, this word has been translated two ways. It has been translated 179 times into the English word angel and seven times into the word messenger. Believe it or not, there are actually English translations that translate the word into angel and clearly state that the apostle had an angel of Satan operating against him. The Greek manuscripts are clear. Paul had an angel of Satan in his flesh. Another convincing argument is the fact that only Christians are commanded to resist and fight against demons in the scriptures. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. If Christians cannot have evil spirits, why are they warned about receiving another spirit through believing lies? 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4 But I fear, lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. The book of James also clearly tells us, that things which are in the hearts of believers can be demonic. The King James Version says devilish. Other translations say demonic. James four fifteen, or James 3, verse 14 and 15. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. In the beginning of James chapter 4, James describes a condition similar to what Paul described, lusts, warring, waging war inside of us. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. After this verse, he tells us that this is a spiritual lust, causing envy within our members. James 4, chapter five, verse 5 says, Do ye think that the scriptures saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Then he gives us the solution for our issue, deliverance from the devil by submission to God and resisting the demonic. James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Christians are also commanded to remove from themselves defilements of flesh and spirit. 
We've already covered that Christians are one in spirit with the Lord, so there can't be demons in the spirit of a believer. Therefore, these defilements of spirit must be related to demonic spirits elsewhere in our lives. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There are a few common objections people have to the idea that Christians could have demons. We will look at a few of these also. Common objection number one. One of the most common objections that we see to the fact that Christians can have indwelling demons is the following passage. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Many Christians will quickly refute the truth by immediately quoting this scripture and saying that the Holy Spirit, light, cannot dwell with the demon spirit, darkness. They assume that since the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, that an evil spirit could in no way indwell a believer at the same time. They believe that a demon could only attack or influence the believer from the outside. They will say that the two cannot coexist in the same temple. They assume that God wouldn't allow his spirit to be in a temple with another spirit. There are many other analogies they use to back this up. However, many Christians don't understand the complexity of the human condition and how this is possible. To understand this, we will need to understand the human condition and where the spirit of God dwells in the believer. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When looking at this passage, we see that we are a three-part being. Humans are a spirit, soul, and body in one vessel. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that those of us who are joined to the Lord are one in spirit with him. When we are joined to the Lord in this manner, demons cannot dwell in our spirit, but they can dwell in the flesh. Romans 7.18 For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Anyone who knows the Bible knows that the Apostle Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. But here we see him say that no good thing dwells in the flesh. So clearly the Holy Spirit does not dwell in our flesh. If no good thing dwells in our flesh, it's only logical that this is the place where demonic spirits could dwell. <laughs> Sorry guys, I'm a little sick over here. <coughs> common objection number two. Another common objection is that every demon leaves a person at the moment of salvation. It's the idea that once you believe... All of the demons that were inside of somebody just disappear in an instant. Not only is this not seen anywhere in scripture, but it's not something that we see happen in real life either. Acts chapter 8 verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. Mark 9.26 and the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that they said, he is dead. Very often when evil spirits come out of people, 
They come out through very violent means. Screaming, crying with loud voices, convulsing, coughing, puking, etc. It is not something that is commonly seen during the born-again conversion. So, if we don't typically see evidence of demons coming out of people when they come to faith, how can we assume that they all left at conversion? Common objection number three. The next common objection we see is that a Christian cannot be possessed, but that they can only be oppressed. Now, at this point, we will concede and agree that the born-again Christian cannot be possessed by demons. We belong to God, and the word possession implies ownership. However, what many Christians fail to realize is that this is a slightly inaccurate translation from the original Greek that the New Testament was written in. Something interesting about this argument of possession versus oppression is that we never see Jesus cast demons off or away from people in the Gospels. We only see him casting demons out of people. The book of Acts says that the people whom Jesus healed of, from demons were actually oppressed by the devil. Acts 10.38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The word demonized. Sorry. The word demonized is a closer translation to the original Greek language. It is fair to say that Christians cannot be possessed in the sense that they are owned by evil spirits. However, they can give up ownership and control of various aspects of their life to evil spirits. Christians can certainly be demonized on the inside and outside. When you see the word possessed in the New Testament, you can safely assume that the Greek language says the person was demonized under the influence of a demon or had a demon. There is nothing in the original Greek manuscripts to imply that the demon had ownership of the person. As a matter of fact, God says that he owns everything and everybody. Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. First uh, Chronicles 29.11-12 Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. In the beginning, God gave man dominion over the earth. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. In other words, God, in a sense, leased the world to man. God is the owner of everything, but he has put the world under dominion to mankind. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. Psalm 115.16 Many Christians say things like, The devil owns the world, or the earth is the devil's playground, etc., 
But the reality of the fact is that the only reason Satan has control over things on earth is because man has given it to him. Satan actually tells Jesus this plainly. God never gave Satan the world. Man did. Luke 4, 5 and 6. And the devil, taking him up onto a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Jesus has given us power to take back from the enemy what has been given to him. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the last evidence is the evidence from experience. This type of evidence... I'm sorry. The last type of evidence we'll turn to is the evidence from experience. Ministers of deliverance all around the world pray with born-again Christians for deliverance. They cast demons out of believers constantly, and there are many people who have received deliverance from evil spirits after coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Alright, so that was my document. Now, there were some questions still to answer. Um, the first question is, is it biblical to send demons to hell, the abyss, the pit, Tartarus, etc. Um, there are opinions on this. It's, it's not biblical for us to tell demons where to go, um, necessarily. Jesus does send, a, we see in the scriptures, the demons inside of the demoniac that was in the tombs, um, begged Jesus not to send him into the pit or out of the country. Um, and Jesus honored their request and sent them into the pigs that ran off the cliff and died. Um, so people will say that if we follow the example of Jesus, we do have the authority to determine where to send them. Some people advocate sending them to the, to the pit, to hell, to the abyss, to Tartarus. Um, I know Wynne Worley, who, the late Wynne Worley, he was a deliverance minister um, that had a lot of influence. He advocated sending demons to Tartarus. He said that it was a, a place of utter torment, that the demons didn't want to go there. Um, personally, I have told demons to go to the pit um, I've told them to go to Tartarus. Um, I've probably told them to go to hell also. But the place where I stand personally, my personal conviction is that I have asked Jesus to send them, if he's willing to send them to Tartarus or the pit or the abyss um, or to somewhere that they cannot torment anyone. I've also asked him that uh, if he would... These are just my requests to the Lord. He can do what he wants. He's sovereign over all. What he says is what happens. So I've asked him to send them wherever he sees fit personally, but I've, I've made some requests that if he chooses to grant them, I would be thankful. One of the requests that I've asked him is that if, uh, if he does allow them to go torment someone, that the demons would drive people into his arms that people would see the demons and be driven into the arms of Jesus because of these demons. Um, and 
I've asked him to send them places where they can't torment people um, and things of that nature. Ultimately, I personally believe it, it, they go where Jesus or the angels take them uh, after they are expelled from a person. We do see in the scriptures that Jesus said that when demons come out of people, they often try to come back and re-enter the person. So that is to keep in mind, too, whenever you cast demons out of, a, out of a person or receive deliverance yourself, you need to keep in mind that the demons will try to come back in. Um, the next question uh, that I have is, um, this person asked about the names of demons. Um, they said, in particular, that they see the same names of demons being thrown around in, in different circles. For instance the spirit Jezebel. He asked if, if all of these people that have the Jezebel spirit in them, if that's the same demon manifesting through different people, or if it's sort of a, um, if that's not the case. And there, again, there are different opinions on this, depending on who you ask. Some people will say that it is the same demon that sort of fragments itself into society. Um, I personally do not believe that. What I, how I explain my belief to people is I think that there are likely um, many, many demons that operate under different names or titles. For instance, looking at it from a human perspective, let's look at the human military. The United States military has a branch of army, navy, air force, etc. Someone that's in the air force, um, there, there, you know, there's lots and lots and lots and lots of people enlisted in the air force that all operate under that title of air force, and then within the air force, you're going to have pilots and, and, and people of different ranks and people of different divisions. And I believe that um, that in the spirit realm, things like this happen also. For instance, you might have, uh, you know, Satan is the commander in chief of, of the demonic forces, so to speak. And then underneath him, there's a, a branch for Leviathan and a branch for Jezebel, and a branch for um, death, a branch for uh, pride, a branch for lust, whatever. And then underneath those umbrellas, there's going to be a lot of spirits that operate under those. So that's my belief. That's how I understand things. Again, there's different opinions about these things. Um and the last question is, do demons lie when you question them? There's actually uh, a couple questions in one here. Do demons lie when you question them? Do they pretend to be something else? Um, and they said that they heard another person on another podcast say that in the Bible, a demon never lied. Um Demons lie all the time during deliverance sessions, especially when one of them is forced to manifest 
and they do not want to come out and you're trying to find out why they're there. If you ask a demon, why are you inside of this person? They understand and they know that if they tell you the truth and the person repents and submits that area of their life to God appropriately, that they will be driven out. So they do not want to tell you the truth. I have had to torment demons for hours trying to get the answer of why are you in this person out of them. Nowadays, that was earlier in my ministry. Nowadays, I don't necessarily advocate tormenting a demon for hours trying to get that information. Um, but I have done it because they lie over and over and over again and, and waste your time and try to wear you out so that you will not get them out. Um, they lie. They lie. They, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. Now, when it comes to, I know which person you're saying says that a demon, demons never lied in the Bible. And it's kind of true in the New Testament. In the New Testament, um, every demon that you see manifest uh, and speak did tell the truth. They said, you know, Jesus, you're the son of God and you're the anointed one and, and things of this nature, which was the truth. They did manifest and say the truth. But it was for the, the, the desire to destroy Jesus that they did that. They were trying to out him publicly before his ministry was known. So he told them, shut up, don't talk. Um, in, no, that's not exactly what he said. He said, hold thy peace. Um, and come out of him. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we see the Lord do something very interesting. There's a story in the Old Testament where one of the kings wanted uh, counsel from his prophets, and he had like hundreds of prophets, and they were all saying the same thing. And this king said, are there any other prophets? And he, and he said, yeah, there's one, but I don't like what he says. Because he always prophesies against me. And so they get this guy. And this guy says, I saw the Lord say, who will go and deceive him so that he would go out to battle and die? And a spirit came before the Lord and said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. So the Lord said, go. And this lying spirit deceived all of these prophets, like hundreds of them at once. And I think that's really interesting that one spirit had the power to do that, to deceive hundreds of people at once. It's pretty interesting to think about. Now, when it comes to demons pretending to be something else, I have seen this too in personal ministry sessions. So um, early on in my ministry, I was introduced to a the style of deliverance that incorporated a lot of inner healing. Now, there are a lot of different methods of inner healing and methods to, to deliverance. Um, but within the inner healing circles... There is a concept of what's called 
soul parts and soul fragments, they're the same thing. Um, basically, the idea and the theory behind them is that when a person goes through something very traumatic, that a literal fragmenting of the soul occurs, not of the spirit, of the soul. And this is um, in the mind of the believer. And when this happens, uh, a part of the soul is sort of broken off and becomes its own conscious identity within the person. And these things need healing is the idea of this. And in, in inner healing ministry, oftentimes you will see in, in a similar way that demons manifest and will speak through the person and, and emote and whatnot, um, in inner healing ministries, you'll oftentimes see these soul parts manifest and speak and cry and, and get emotional and whatnot. And the idea is that <clears throat> there's a couple different philosophies for how to heal these things. So one of them is to lead them to Jesus and have Jesus heal them. And um, uh, either by taking them out of the person and doing whatever he does with them, or by having him integrate the, the parts into the person. So those are the two methods of healing these things is either integrate them into the person so that the person becomes whole or have Jesus take the part out. Now, early in my ministry, I really believed this and my belief has changed since then. Um, and the reasoning for it is that I, I, on many occasions, not just like once, but on, on a handful of occasions, at least I saw these soul fragment things manifest and my discernment said, I'm being messed with. This feels like a trick. And, um, I would just pray and say, you know, Holy Spirit, if this is just a demon pretending to be a hurt part of this person, please show me. And this, these things would be crying and, you know, they'd go from crying to in an instant when I would pray that they'd be growling, snarling. And I said, okay, it seems to me like the demons pretend to be these hurt parts of people. And I'm not sure exactly the reason why. Um, maybe it's to stay hidden and not come out or to slow down the deliverance process or something. I'm not entirely sure. I do understand that trauma plays a very significant part in the deliverance process and that inner healing is very valid. But my inner healing methods have changed how, how I deal with trauma has changed since that. And I've seen, I've seen very good results just by leading people to forgive the people that hurt them, um, give their trauma to Jesus, ask him to heal their heart, and just asking the Lord to release his healing power into their heart and to bind up their brokenness and, and to, to fill them with his love and to fix and, and heal and restore everything the enemy's done to their heart. And if you just pray like that with people who have trauma, oftentimes they'll just break down and weep and 
and feel so much better and the demons will come out just real quick and easy after that um so that answers all the questions that i got um thanks for tuning in thanks for listening and if you have questions comments or just want to reach out in general you can do so at deliverance from demons podcast at gmail.com god bless you all thanks for listening i hope you have a great night